agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government of the government love. The government of the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University, and I'm joined today by Jay Carson and Kristen Matheny. We're doing another three-person show, and uh, it's great to have both of you here. Hey, guys. Good morning. Hey there. So I thought, you know, it, it's, been a, it's been a pretty crazy week, or a busy week, certainly. And of course, the, the top story that we'll start off with is the first open hearings of the impeachment inquiry. You know, this week's key witnesses were, I guess there were three of them, really, right? Mm-hmm. Acting U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Bill Taylor, State Department official George Kent, and former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yanovich. I knew I'd screw that one up. Yanovich. Uh, <laughs> um, now, Democrats believe that these witnesses have really bolstered their case that President Trump attempted to bribe Ukraine by offering the release of military aid in exchange for Ukraine, of course, announcing an investigation to Hunter and Joe Biden. Republicans have countered that the testimony to this point is second and third hand hearsay and that there's no direct confirmation that President Trump was attempting to orchestrate a quid pro quo. Now, this could potentially, at least, I guess, theoretically change next week when EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland testifies, and we're still waiting to see if former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton will testify. And for that, we're going to need a ruling in the lawsuit concerning whether Congress's impeachment authority uh, supersedes the White House's claim of absolute immunity. So I think that kind of brings us up to date. Kristen, what was your takeaway from this opening week of testimony? So like a lot of Americans, I work during the weekend. So um, as much as I wanted to watch the impeachment hearings, I kind of had it on my second screen at work and I would kind of like uh, go like toggle back and forth from work to that. So there were there was a lot to the testimony that that I didn't pick up on. Um, I had to watch it later on YouTube and on the news. I watched the clips. Um, My kind of my big takeaway from the week um, was that it was kind of the way that the media presented everything. So on right-leaning media outlets, you know, just like you said, it seemed, you know, very split down the middle. On right-leaning media outlets, it seemed like they thought that there was really no testimony that was, you know, a a magic bullet. Um, A lot of it was second and third-hand information. Um, You had, you know, obviously people like uh, Elise Stefanik, of New York, um, a Republican uh, representative, kind of um, showcased their talent. And, it, and it's funny because I've always really liked her. I've always kind of been waiting for her to have her big moment. So she had a big moment uh, this week and she stood up to Adam Schiff um, uh, during the hearings. And, and um, you know, so you have these right-leaning media outlets sort of presenting the the these points. And then on the left, you know, because I, I watch both, um, on the left-leaning media outlets, you had sort of this great divide of uh, Democrats, these Democrats, Democratic pundits trying to come on and and find loopholes and things that uh, people were saying, sort of latching on to these, you know, claims or or you know, dubious claims as Republicans would call them. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess my big takeaway is that this really didn't move the needle in either direction. I think most of America has their mind made up. Either you want to see Donald Trump impeached or you don't. Um, and I think you're going to, you know, watch these impeachment hearings and it's and it's not going to move the, the needle for most of us. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, again, I, I, I sort of consider my, obviously I'm biased, but I consider myself a fairly open-minded person. I am watching with interest to see what happens. Nothing that I've seen has moved the needle for me. Um, but that was kind of my big takeaway. Yeah. And I, I think it would be really surprising if I, I would think if anything moved the needle for, for you or for Jay a whole lot. But I think it's a great point you make, you know, that this really isn't about learning new things for, for the most part, I, I would say. It's about making right. that public case for impeachment. And it's about, I would argue, trying to drive Donald Trump's approval ratings low enough in certain areas where there's at least the possibility of getting a couple Republican defections on either the impeachment or the conviction vote. I think that's that's pretty much uh, the most kind of the realistic best case scenario end game for Democrats. And anything more than that, I think, is just wishful thinking, basically. But uh, Jay, what did you take away from this week? Uh, I no, I'm with I'm with you both on the uh, I don't think it changes much for most people. Um, if anything, it, it to me, uh, I, I think it will reinvigorate uh, Trump supporters and those in the middle that will see this as this is, you know, Democrats have been have been looking to impeach Donald Trump since uh, since day one. Uh, I, I had predicted that they would. And uh, my, my predictions have come to pass. Uh, and you pointed out before, well, there ha- he hasn't been impeached yet, but but he will be. Um, uh, and, you know, it's a matter of just, well, what what theory can we find? Um, and, and at this point now they're down to, you know, it's. Before it was the quid pro quo, and now it is well. We're calling it bribery, um, which I'm 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 personally a little you know perplexed as as to how exactly uh, what what the bribe was and and who he was bribing and 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 what. He I was don't think you're out. perplexed. I think you might be. No, I am. I mean, who's, who's, bribing, who's, who's bribing? Who's bribing? Were we bribing the Ukrainians? Yes. Okay, Not or, or was he Donald soliciting Trump. a bribe from from the Ukrainians? Yes, exactly. And just well, a little one? a little background on that. Actually, the the reason why the kind of the messaging has changed on the Democratic side from quid pro quo to bribery. Two reasons. Number one, apparently they focused grouped it, and uh, bribery sounded <laughs> yeah. a lot. You know, clear. they tried quid pro quo what extortion. We him with? Well, no, not at all. Just, I mean, how do we want to? How do we want to frame this? Essentially, I think you can make an argument that all three of those things apply. It's just a matter of which one has the most resonance with the public. And as someone pointed optics. out, well, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and if you're throwing out Latin phrases for most people, that's not really going to be very helpful, certainly. And not only that, but I think secondarily, bribery is specifically mentioned in that impeachment uh, clause in the Constitution as sure. being grounds. And so for those two reasons, I think that's why we've seen that that switch to a, a focus on the word bribery, basically. But, you know, Jay, as to your point that, well, Democrats have been, some Democrats certainly, have been trying to find a a reason to impeach Donald Trump since day one. I, I think any reasonable person would have to agree with that. But that being the case, even if I grant you that, which I, I have to, and I'm, I'm happy to do that, not happy, but I will, it's that that doesn't mean that he isn't guilty of the things that he is said to be guilty of. So just because you're trying to find something to nail somebody on, 
and then they do something that doesn't that doesn't mitigate the fact that they've actually done this thing that's impeachable. So that's why I don't get that argument saying, well, they've been trying to get them and now they found something. Well, yeah, now now they found something. So I, I don't see how that follows exactly or what the logic is there. But maybe you can well, enlighten well, me on that. To, yeah, no, it, it goes to um, first the integrity of the. Uh, of the process uh, and and the whole idea of of are we putting the verdict before the uh, before the trial? Um, and this is what we talked about last week. And my sense is, yeah, when you're saying this is you know impeachment, you are putting the verdict before the trial. Uh, once that word impeachment is out there, it's a foregone conclusion that all uh, almost all House Democrats uh, would vote to impeach on whatever grounds uh, they could find. And and I think you and I both agree that. That that's that kind of thing is bad for the republic. That um, uh, that, yeah, that creating absolutely. sort of a permanent impeachment, as opposed to look, if you want to investigate uh, some sort of alleged wrongdoing in another branch of government, have at it. Um, and and I, you know, if you look back at something like uh, Iran Contra uh, or the um, uh, uh, the the unmasking of um, uh, in the, during the Bush administration and uh, the Scooter Libby uh, investigation, all that. Okay. Uh, but but it's it's one thing to say, you know, we're holding the other branches feet to the fire and quite another to say uh, this is so bad it ought to overturn election. But but I do want to get to the but before, before you get to that other thing. I mean, I want to get Kristen's point on this as well. I, I agree with you that it is that it is, a, 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 I would not say abuse of the process, but certainly it is it is wrong to reach your conclusion before you've heard the evidence. And certainly there are some Democrats who even on the flimsiest of evidence would vote to impeach and convict Donald Trump. I have no, there's no question about it. But here's, here's the opposite side of that, Jay, is that it works the other way too. There are plenty of Republicans who would sure. absolutely vote to, and, and you know, would absolutely vote to not impeach, not even have an inquiry and not to convict unless essentially there was the proverbial, as the president said, you know, I could shoot somebody in, you know, in Times Square. In that case, maybe that might sway some moderate Republicans. <laughs> but, but, but Kristen, I mean, do, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, do you think that's a, a valid point to make? Oh, I absolutely. I think it's a valid point. I th- I think I think that you'd have to be fairly, uh, you'd have to be living with your head under a rock, basically, to to not think that the partisanship in this country has led to that. That we have people who are so pro-Trump, um, both in Congress and out of Congress, that they're not willing to accept you know, any evidence, even if it's good evidence, you know, that that is negative about Donald Trump. I know people like that. I have friends like that who just don't want to hear anything and they're not listening to the impeachment hearings and they basically have cotton in their ears over the whole thing. And and it, again, like it, it, the same thing happens on the left. I mean, this is just where we are. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think it's I wanted to bring up a, a really good point, though. I, I've said on the show before that I watch Bill Maher, um, I, even though I do disagree with him on about 95% of what he says. <laughs> I think he's absolutely hilarious. I loved him when he when he did stand up. I've always watched him. I mean, we we record his show. And, you know, he's been sounding the alarm. He's been talking about the politics of all of this, which I found very interesting. And he's been sounding the alarm to his fellow Democrats because he's a pretty staunch leftist. Um, and he's been saying, like, this is this will become a loser unless something changes for Democrats. I think he you know, he may have point that this election 2020, which is, you know, let's face it, this is what a lot of this is about, um, if not all of it, 
that going into 2020, this election is going to be decided in these swing states like my state of Florida, Arizona, you know, these states that are that are in question. Minnesota is now in play. And in these states, there's I think the average is 53 percent of of uh, likely voters oppose impeachment. And it's not necessarily that these people are pro-Trump. And he's made that point before. Um, it's just that these people have what he's calling impeachment fatigue. So as much as I hate to rely on a comedian <laughs> to voice my frustration, I think he's absolutely dead on, as he sometimes is. And I, I wanted to bring that up because he is a, you know, a powerful voice on the left. And, um, you know, he makes a very valid point. Yeah. It, Go ahead, Jay. And I want to jump in because um, this goes to the witnesses that I was talking about, and and something that occurred to me. Um, first of all, the the what the Democrats are describing as, and the, and the Democrat friendly press describing uh, as, you know, bombshell uh, testimony, uh, where where it's something of, well, I know a guy who says he overheard sure. something <laughs> that you know he's listening into a president's conversation, and he heard him say investigation. And and p- people would say, my God, you're going to take away my right to vote on the on the presidency over this. Um, I think that's part of it. Um, the other thing, those the three witnesses um, that we've seen so far, and I would specific, especially say Maria Ivanovich. Um, Maria Ivanovich, I I think was is a a uh, now a walking uh, commercial for Donald Trump's reelection. Um, and and what I mean by that is. Uh, you know, she was she was devastated. She was crushed when she heard about this phone call, which which happened after she left, after she was fired. I mean, um, and again, that she was crushed by, you know, being fired and Donald Trump. And I mean, has she ever watched The Apprentice? I mean, that's the premise of the show is she <laughs> fires everyone. Um, so and the other piece that, that struck me about Ivanovich um, and Kristen, you and I have both played the game, uh, not at the ambassador level. Um but but the extent that there's somebody out there talking smack about you, trying to trying to do you in, saying you're disloyal, yeah. um, that that is pretty much par for the course in in politics. And if you're if you're the ambassador to a significant country, uh, and you're somehow shocked and offended that people are playing politics, or you're not able to to do that. Um, you know, maybe ambassadorship isn't for you. Uh, and Kristen, I just want to get your your thoughts on that as far as uh, look, it, you know, we're all we're all grown ups here and you sort of expect um, I don't know that yeah. that just struck me as you know, um, and then but I have one more point to make before that. Mike, this this goes also kind of more to you because you and I are both fans of uh, sort of goofy, irreverent uh, 70s comedies. And what struck me also with having these, you know, State Department people uh, testifying uh, and the, the 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 deep state and all this sort of thing, I think there, there's something else that's going on and it is encapsulated to me in a line from the movie Caddyshack. Uh, where, where Judge <laughs> you Smales, can never go wrong by quoting Caddyshack, no, so go ahead. Yeah. No. It, was actually, it was on like the poster, like the catch, the, the you know, catchphrase sort of for the movie is that some people just don't belong. And I think if you're thinking of a meta level, that's that's the sense that that's why so many people voted for Trump. Right. Uh, They have the sense that they just don't belong. They everyone who has ever felt like uncomfortable by by someone who is there better, everyone looked down on and 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 folks out there know when they're being looked down on. Um, You know, they don't even have to be called deplorables or say that they're bitterly clinging. Um, 
But when you get these sort of crocodile tears from from people like uh, Marie Ivanovich and State Department officials, and oh my gosh, this is, um, I, I really think that that stirs that that same chord because um, it did with me, and and I'm I'm not that deplorable. I'm a little bit deplorable, but. Um, you know, really listeners the, will the, chime the, in on that one. I'm sure. Yes, and, and, but uh, you no, know, I mean, I think that's that's. I'm trying to, the, the much bigger point when you're talking about electoral politics is I think a lot of people will see this as Trump was not in the club. He came into the club. He's not in the club, and the rest of the club does not want him in. And and they will do what they can to to force him out. And, sure. And I think that's that sense is very real because I think a lot of people have felt that at some point in their lives. And and that's how they're going to yeah. to read this, these witnesses in that testimony. A- absolutely. I mean, there are so many, for instance, LGBTQ people, so many minorities who felt that for their entire lives. And and that's why I think that, you know, uh, Barack Obama being the nominee in, in 2008 was such an incredible moment because those people finally felt represented and heard and so forth. And that is a very, you know, a very powerful thing. Uh, but I wanted to, you know addressed the, that one of that first point you made, Jay, about it just being politics. And I think from the left, at least, how a lot of us are seeing that is, yeah, that's true to a point. And, you know, Mick Mulvaney saying, well, hey, this is just how politics works. Foreign policy is all about quid pro quos. And, and of course, that's just that's just factually true. But it's different when it becomes a quid pro quo for personal benefit as opposed to the benefit of, of the country. And I think that's the distinction. And I think that's why Ivanovich was, was, so, was so disappointed, was so shocked, whatever word you want to use by that, is because it seemed to go well beyond the normal sort of political infighting and, and attacking and that sort of thing, but to be something that actually is worthy of impeachment and removal. And I think that's what what that kind of behavior in a president is not what people who have worked with other presidents of both parties for many decades would expect. And I think that's the shocking thing about it. Oh, I I think, uh, well, first of all, that wasn't exactly the point I was trying to make. And maybe I, maybe it was misconstrued. Um, was the more of the Ivanovich complaining the you know Trump was unfair to me out to get me he went through these other processes Rudy Giuliani was messing around and stuff that should have been my business okay and so forth and and there was that sort of um uh sense of well Trump should just stay in his lane and let the state department uh people do it do it uh you know we've always done because look let's face it we're all much smarter and much better than him um and by extension, much smarter, much better than uh, than you, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, and and I think that's that was kind of the my my takeaway. Now again, of course, I'm biased in reading stuff into that, but um, I wasn't I wasn't referring so much as to the severity of the of the allegation, which uh, again to me seems to be kind of. Um, uh, for if, if Maria Ivanovich was also as rooted as she claims to have been in in uh, rooting out uh, corruption in the Ukraine, um, that somehow she you know she never uh, the, the question of the Burisma thing never really came up to her never seemed to uh, hit her radar. Um, uh, I mean that, again to me it it just strikes me as um, 
this this was sort of uh, uh, sort of a, 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 a captain a captain Renault. Uh, I, I guess I see a lot Orange of deflection, and I see this a lot from the right uh, on this from from many people, and that it's let's make it about the witnesses and other things, but let's not focus on sort of the, the overall case. And I, you know, I agree with uh, with Jonah Goldberg. I agree with Jonah Goldberg <laughs> on this, who said essentially that anyone who doesn't believe that Trump quote did it is either is either ignorant or is some kind of a partisan hack basically he he clearly asked ukraine for a favor that would help him out now reasonable people and, and, well, and well, could also be said to help out the country and help out the good sure, of the and, world well, let me let me say that now where you can say okay here's some disagreement as to whether or not it was okay what he did and it seems to me that most people most reasonable people on both sides would say you know, what he did actually wasn't okay. But then there's that next level. Well, is it so unca- so oh, un-okay that it is rises to the level of an impeachable offense? And so that's kind of how I see the levels here. There are the people who say, hey, the phone call was perfect. He didn't do anything wrong. And there was no effort to try to help himself personally. That to me is a ridiculous argument. The I second, would say I'm so, I'm somewhere in the mezzanine here, right? Okay. Like we last yeah, week. Kristen, yeah. I mean, what what do you think kind of about that kind of tripartite, I guess, designation I have there? Where, where would you put yourself in that, okay. in that kind of layering? Yeah. So, um, so I guess from the beginning with all of this impeachment talk, because Mike, you and I on the show were talking about this months and months and months ago before mm-hmm. this, before the call with Ukraine before, I mean, we, we would talk about impeachment because a lot of representatives ran in 2018 and, and were elected like Rashida Tlaib. Um, you know, the, these are people who were elected, you know, because they were touting that they were going to impeach the whatever the whatever word right, she yeah. used. Uh-huh. Right. But, um, you know, and so I think that 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 resonated with a lot of Democrats. What I guess where I stand is is I want to know more facts. Um, I'm not saying I'm in the middle necessarily. I couldn't say that in good faith because I am a Republican and I am a pro-Trump Republican. But I do want to know the facts, because if there is some sort of threat to democracy or or, or something like that, I do want to know about it. I guess one point I wanted to make that that kind of goes along with this point is that you have somebody like and again, I'll bring her up, uh, Representative Stefanik of New York, who I identify with very much. She she and I are the same age. Um, um, you know, she's a Republican with actually a, a great track record of a kind of crossing party lines with a lot of her legislation. She's pro LGBTQ. Um, you know, she's she's reached across the aisle a lot. And and why I, I was so happy to see her be a part of these impeachment hearings was because I knew that she would want to ask substantive questions. She understands how this works. She understands the policy that's involved. And she's been asking and has talked about very legitimate questions, trying to get to the to the heart of the matter. She's trying to cut through politics. And instead of being listened to, she was shut down by Adam Schiff, um, basically told to, to stop talking on, on multiple occasions. And the media has sort of built her up to be this Trump shill. And the funny thing is that as somebody who is pro-Trump, I, I would not necessarily call her a Trump shell. I think she's trying to get to the heart of the matter. So I guess where I stand is I'm sort of looking at both sides and saying, present your evidence, kind of like what the way I feel Stefanik was presenting her case this week. And, I, and I'm frustrated that Democrats aren't letting people, you know, responsible 
people like her ask these substantive questions. I feel like it's just been this political mudslinging. The Yovanovitch testimony was very frustrating because I felt like um, it was very emotional and I was trying to get past that. I was trying to see if she could present some evidence or she had something that would, you know, change my mind or, or move the needle, yeah. as I've said before. Well, she, and I mean, I she wasn't. And she wasn't there when it happened. Sorry to interrupt. Right. That, no, that, no, that's no. that's what, what well, strikes you know, me with, yeah, with these I, witnesses. Right. And and I and look, I um I understand the and I read the Jonah Goldberg piece about if you're you're talking about the uh playing the you know the the, right. the idea of, of look, this isn't an impeachable offense and that's a more defensible position as to the this is the phone call is perfect. But but what we're we're you know being asked to evaluate right now is what who these witnesses lend to the uh, impeachment sure. inquiry, and it's it's all sort of like a bunch of people who are saying like we're really mad about it. We weren't we weren't necessarily there. We don't necessarily know anything about it. But but we, wow, we really feel strongly um, that we don't like Donald Trump. Well, it's more um, than, it's more than that. I mean, they have. They have secondhand information, a bunch of people with mostly secondhand information. And that is, I mean, you have to weigh the fact that it's not directly from Donald Trump. And you've made that point, you know, a few times, Jane, right. it's, it's a good point to make. And I, I agree. And, and here's here's a problem that I have is, you know, the timing of the Ukraine call, or at least when the whistleblower thing came out and so forth, it it didn't work out terrifically well in terms of launching an investigation with how the election time that what I mean by that is there are a lot of people with firsthand information, people like uh, Bolton, Mulvaney, Giuliani and Perry, who I think we really need to hear from. But of course, they're all refusing to, to you know, to testify. The White House is making this claim. Well, they're not necessarily Bolton. They're not necessarily refusing, well, like waiting, Bolton's yeah. not refusing right. to testify, right. but yeah. he's being, you know, yeah. in, in executive privilege being invoked. And exactly. I think rightfully so. Yeah. And, and my, my point being that ideally, I mean, for, from the purposes, not from partisan purposes, but for the purposes of getting to the truth, we would be able to hear from these people either way and be able to judge, you know, what they're saying and how credible they are and so forth. And that, that I think, for instance, to your point, Kristen, would get, go a long way to giving us the sort of evidence that maybe might convince a few people in the middle one way or the other. But of course, that process, assuming it goes up to the Supreme Court, which I think is a, a reasonable assumption, will take. I think quite a bit of time, certainly months, and it, it seems like that you know the impeachment process is is on a track to be over by that point. So I think Democrats have made uh, a calculation that it's better to not wait to kind of work out these you know uncertain court battles because who knows what the court's going are you know eventually going to say and kind of press forward and try to have this resolved one way or the other before uh you know before the heart of campaign season and i understand that but from the point of view as somebody who really wants to hear from these firsthand players it's it's frustrating to me and uh what do you think about that Kristen? you know i when you were talking i i agree with you um i, I think that the the thing that a lot of people are forgetting in all of this is that ambassadors, uh, you know, contrary to what Eric Swalwell says, ambassadors do serve at the pleasure of the president. And so because of that, 
um, you know, sometimes you get ambassadors who are not necessarily politically savvy. Um, you know, every modern president has appointed ambassadors who have been loyal to him, have been, you know, friendly to him. Um, I know somebody I have the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The big donors. Well, I was just going to say, I actually am personal friends with somebody who's serving as an ambassador right now, um, who's, you know, from my area, but she was a, a, a big friend of the president and donated a lot of money. And, and, um, you know, and when she was appointed, I was happy, but, that, but, you know, to, to say this is a Republican or a Democrat thing, this is just how this has always been. Sure. And, um, you know, so ambassadors, you know, s- some of them have these incredible resumes, some don't, but they are inherently very, very political. And so they would, I feel like their testimony, um, I'm not saying it shouldn't be taken seriously or, or anything like that, but I would, I would agree with you, Mike, in that these, you know, saying that, you know, this ambassador has secondhand knowledge or he heard, or she heard, you know, a friend of a friend or, you know, so it, I feel like what would be weightier testimony and what may move the needle is hearing from some of these, these yeah. firsthand accounts from these people who are actually involved. So I, I think you're absolutely right. But what's frustrating, is to hear, and I, I'm seeing this, I will say that I'm seeing this more on left-leaning outlets because, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of holding these ambassadors up to this impossible standard. And, you know, um, I watched a pundit on, I was at MSNBC the other day talking about Jovanovic and saying, oh, she has ice in her veins. And I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, did you watch the testimony? <laughs> that's, so, that's what struck me as she came across as, and, and I'll probably get hits for this, but <laughs> not not nearly as icy as she ought to be. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, just, it, it's it's troubling to me, you know, that that we don't have this testament. I'd like to hear from them, too. You know, and, and I'm a Republican, but I'm open minded. Um, I don't know that all Republicans feel the same way I do. But if we're going to get to the heart of the matter, we're going to either dismiss this, which is what I hope happens, or we move forward with this with, you know, impeachment that we're going to we're going to have to get that smoking gun from these people, yeah. Yeah. not from these ambassadors. It's not going to come about. Well, I think the only person who we're likely to get testimony from who has what could be possibly, you know, firsthand information would be probably at this point, Sondland, who I believe yeah. is scheduled to testify next week. And, you know, always to me, guys, he seemed like kind of the weakest link, right? I mean, he clearly seems to be over his head, much more interested in redecorating the EU ambassador uh, residence <laughs> than, you know, doing ambassador things. Well, and, you should have seen what it looked like before. Oh, Mike. it was a dump. Yeah, yeah you know, but, but, but I mean, he's got no particular loyalty to Trump, right? He was a Jeb Bush supporter in 2016. He said some bad things about Trump. And he's basically a guy who just decided, wouldn't it be cool? A rich guy decided, wouldn't it be cool if I could be an ambassador? So he just threw a bunch of money at whoever could give him that. And I yep. think if anyone is going to break ranks in a real way who knew something, it's going to be, it's going to be Sondland. And if that, if that doesn't happen next week, I think that, that, that's pretty much all she wrote because I don't think there's going to be any sort of a determination by a court in time to have Bolton or anyone else testify. And so we can pretty much write this script out the rest of the way. Uh, Jay, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, if, if one thing, this is something else that, that you didn't mention at one point, and and again, the thing shifts a lot, but Bolton had offered to testify. Uh, the president said, you can't. Um, right. Schiff said, I don't want you. <laughs> I'm no longer planning on calling you, um, which which sort of gives away the game to me, right? That that they're not really interested in this. This is, look, again, the Democrats promised impeachment uh, to, to the left wing of their voter, their, uh, their constituents. Um, they're going to run it up the flagpole. We found something to impeach them on. We're we'll vote to impeach them. Senate won't. Um, 
and and then they'll move on. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure exactly what but, what Bolton would would say, uh, though. Even that that would would change things. He would probably say, "Look, he was pressuring him to uh, do these. I don't think it should have been in the phone call. I with I opposed withholding aid, um, and so forth. All those things he's he said publicly already." Um, but you're but, so let me let me be clear, Jay. So if you're saying. Uh, and maybe I'm, I'm misunderstanding you, but if, say, either Bolton or Sondland, or, or maybe even both of them, ended up testifying and they said, the president indicated to me that he was doing this to get, he was ask, holding up this aid uh, in exchange for dirt on, if not dirt, but, you know, an investigation on right. Joe Biden that would hurt him. And if, if, say, one or both of those people said that, you wouldn't still feel that that would rise to the level of something that would at least, you know, merit a trial in the Senate. Right. Right. Well, I mean, eh, I don't know. Is it an impeachable? I, I'm, I'm still hung up on, is that an impeachable offense? Okay. I mean, that's, because, I mean, that's because what asking. Yeah. again, the, again, I'm not sure that the, um, it, it, it falls into that category again of, of kind of like the, well, at one point he was thinking about firing Mueller. So is that obstruction of justice? Um, well, let's let's say he was thinking about holding up aid, and he did for a couple months. Now the Ukrainians said that they didn't know he was holding up the aid. What were they going to say? Um, which which sort of gets rid of sort of a bribery or, or well, quid pro quo. That's pro actually been thing. debunked. But go ahead. Well, they actually I, knew I that. Mean, but go ahead. Well, but, they said they they said they didn't. No, that that's actually been debunked. But but. We're not so, going to. Well, yeah. I mean, this is my my point is, if you're going to have a crime, you, you also need to hear from the victim. If the victim says it doesn't didn't happen, um, sure, no matter no, how, yeah, yeah. And and, and I get I, no, I get the debunking thing of well, there were other signals that said they that they may have known that this wasn't. But I, I again, it comes back to try to explain to the guy on the street who, who's bribing whom and why and how this worked and they got the money eventually and they didn't uh you know get anything in return um that but of course why, the, you, why you remove a president for that but but, it, but yeah but if you if you try to commit a crime and you're not successful that doesn't mean that it's not a that's not a crime sure. you know as many of sure. no, out. Sure, attempt, attempt yeah. can be a crime yeah and of course um, the the aid was only released after the white house uh, became aware of the whistleblower complaint so the timing is i mean i'm not saying that any of this is by itself determinative the, the, um, that's not the case i'm making but what i'm saying is right. that a reasonable person can put together all of these individual pieces of information and say, as I've done, I'd like to think I'm a reasonable person on this and say, you know what, this at least merits a trial in the Senate. And that's kind of where, that's where I'm at, at this. I, you know, I've said a number of times that basically overturning the results of an election, that's an incredibly serious thing. And I would, I would need to hear from firsthand you know, firsthand witnesses before I think I could in good conscience vote to convict and remove uh, any president from office for a crime. And, and we don't we don't have that. And but I would think at this point there would be enough for me to vote to uh, to to impeach, if not to convict. And I would have a real problem doing that without hearing from like, a uh, you know, a, a Giuliani, Bolton, uh, Mulvaney, that sort of thing. So, uh, Kristen, right. sorry. No, no, it's fine. Um, I, you know, I think that um, one of the most compelling arguments, I'm, I'm trying to think of things to, not to get back in the weeds. So one of the most compelling arguments I heard this week and, and something that 
I feel like a lot of media sources tend to lose focus of is what this is all about. Um, This is all about Trump, but what Trump is pointing to is something related to Hunter Biden. And I think one of the most compelling arguments that came up this week, and it was hotly debated on right-leaning and left-leaning media outlets, was whether or not there were red flags and warning signs with Hunter Biden's involvement with Burisma um, back during the Obama administration. God, there were. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there, there yeah. were. And so and, I and in her in her Tristan, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in really oh, quick. No, but ahead. but Yovanovitch in her confirmation hearings right. before that was prepped on how to deal with questions relating to Hunter Biden if they came up and they did not. But go ahead. Right. Right. No, no, no. That Actually, I was going to say that this came up with a lot of the talking about uh, Yovanovitch and um, that that this was something that she was acutely aware of, that a lot of people were acutely aware of. And it was just sort of swept under the rug. And so, you know, I, I would I would argue that moving forward, I'm not saying that this excuses anything that Donald Trump did or didn't do. Um, again, that's you know, that's why the founding fathers left the issue of impeachment open for so much debate. I mean, sometimes it, it's it's really great that we have this much leverage and there's this, you know, much there's not a lot of oversight on these things. But in moments like this, it's very frustrating <laughs> for us to watch this going on and saying, what, you know, what did you mean? What is an impeachable offense and what isn't? I mean, ultimately, um, you know, I would like to see what Sondland has to say. Um, I, I, too, would like to hear some of these firsthand accounts of uh, what was going back and forth. Um, but, yeah, like uh, to Mike's point that he made um, uh, several minutes ago, I, I think if something doesn't emerge in the next week or well, it's not going to happen in the next two weeks because it's Thanksgiving week. But in the next week, I think maybe it's time to refocus or to or to close up shop and and t- or take a new direction entirely. But I think this week is going to be critical. Yeah. For that. yeah. And and of course, I, I am I am positive we will be talking about this next week and oh, I yeah. would be stunned if it weren't our top story again next week. But uh, I'm, I was going to throw it doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, the, the hearings will end. There'll be a vote to impeach. She'll be impeached. Yes, yeah. I, I think yeah. we can all agree that that's, yeah. that's what's going to happen. Absolutely. The only the only question in my mind at this point is, will they be able to get even a single Republican to join that, because I think that's a that's a big deal. Obviously, if it's if both the impeachment and the conviction uh, votes are entirely party line, that's very different than if even if one or two, you know, on the conviction well, side, you'll get, you'll get Amash, right? Well, he's yeah. but he's not a Republican anymore, so it doesn't no, that no. he doesn't yeah. really we'll, count. We'll call him a Republican. Yeah, he doesn't he really count anymore. But uh, I think you know if they can do enough to say swing Mitt Romney in the Senate, or he, I think would be one of the more likely ones, maybe then yeah. you know that that's a different kind of feel to it, at least than just entirely party line. But the way things stand now, I, I don't see that happening. But we'll see what happens next week. All right, uh, let's move on. You know, there's there's less than two months to go before the Iowa caucuses. And weirdly, the Democratic presidential primary field is actually growing. There are <laughs> there are 18, count them, 18 candidates in the field now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Last week, right, Michael Bloomberg threw his hat into the ring. This week, it's former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. Now, Patrick was a popular two-term governor in Massachusetts. He's to the right of both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, certainly. And since he left office in 2015, he's been a managing director at Bain Capital. And that's, of course, the private equity firm. Yeah, 
co-founded by exactly i mentioned (laughs) romney yeah absolutely you know uh so uh let's start with you jay what do you think about uh patrick Uh, any thoughts on what what this means why he's entering the race so late all that well i i think um first of all he he would fit well into that that moderate lane um uh, and I, I think the, the the fact that more people are jumping in um, should give the the DNC some some serious pause as to what's going on. Um, and you mentioned he is to the right of um, uh, Sanders and Warren, uh, but I think so was Trotsky. I mean, uh, yeah, I was waiting. I would have been so disappointed, Jay, if you hadn't thrown a truck crack in there. It would have just really yeah, um, depressed me. So uh, I mean, I, I think that's there's the this realization that that the Democrats have sort of put themselves into a, a uh, they kind of tied themselves down of, well, if it can't be Biden because of all this Hunter Biden stuff, which which uh, impeachment is unearthed and has made an issue, um, then are we stuck with uh, one of these these far left progressives who once, uh, you know, you're in a real campaign um, and, and you start running the commercials of uh, you will lose your health insurance. Um, uh, I think that's, that's a really tough, uh, tough, tough election battle to win. So I think, I think uh, Patrick would be a good candidate. Um, I don't know if he's got the organization on the ground or the yeah. money to put together an organization on the ground in time, uh, to make, uh, to make this work. Um, but it's other, but weird stuff might happen just because of the weirdness of this. Right. I mean, if, if you have a com- kind of complete collapse, um, uh, but I don't know, because I, yeah. I think Warren and Sanders still do have the organizations, right? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, they didn't I, I, even misguide the organizations, but they got them. Yeah, I think you're right. Everyone's kind of waiting for Biden to, to crater. I mean, I've heard from from people who are, you know, with or around his campaign saying, you know, everyone tries really hard to make sure that he speaks as little as possible extemporaneously and so forth. And when you're scared of your candidate, you know, and you're in the campaign, that's probably not not even to Iowa yet. You know, yeah, it's not a great sign. Right. And I think so. A lot of people are just saying, Hey, you know, if this, if, if he falls apart, then I want to be there to pick up the pieces if he does. And, uh, uh, Kristen, what do you think about that? Sure. So Deval Patrick um, has been closely allied with Barack Obama Uh for some time. And I think that a lot of people, um, I shouldn't say people, a lot of Democrats are experiencing um, Obama nostalgia right now, which is the the way I would describe it. Um, And I have Democrat, I have some Democrat friends who have gone farther to the left and are rejecting that. And then I have some moderate Democrat friends who are really feeling nostalgic, you know, and it's similar. I felt that way in the past too, but, you know, obviously in the opposite direction. So (laughs) what a lot of these sort of nostalgic Obama Democrats saw happening was that you would have um, Biden, Joe Biden, come in, he would parachute in because a lot of people thought he would run against Trump in 2016. They didn't. They were horribly disappointed because they liked him as a person. Um, and um, because he is very likable when he's he's a little folksy, he's a little likable. And I think they saw they saw like glimpses of this Obama nostalgia in him. And they 
they really propelled him to the forefront. And when, you know, now he's on quite shaky ground. There have been a lot of missteps. I mean, you're starting to call and question his character with this Hunter Biden stuff. But now, you know, like Jay was saying, he's he's faltered quite a bit. Um, and I think that a lot of Democrats who sort of fall into this category are panicking and sort of to capture this Obama nostalgia. I know there's I had one friend who was hoping and praying that Michelle Obama would parachute in, oh, in, in Joe Biden's place. But that's that's not going to happen. And so I think they kind of said, hey, you, Deval Patrick, you know, yeah. <laughs> why don't you step up to the podium? Bloomberg's a whole other story. Yeah. But but, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I do think that there's panic. It's a very crowded field. Of course, it was a crowded field on the Republican side in 2006. Not as crowded, but very crowded. Um, but there really Look is. No... Turned out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there's no unicorn candidate who yeah. has, um, you know, captured. I mean, you've got Buttigieg, who seems to be getting a lot of um funding support. You've got Biden, who still has this like folk hero. He's sort of still capturing that Obama nostalgia, but he's starting to waver. You've got Warren, who people have a lot of second thoughts about, but, you know, and Sanders, who are sort of capturing that left wing group. So there really is no candidate that that everybody seems to be coalescing behind, kind of like a lot of people, a lot of Republicans coalesce behind Trump. And so I think, you know, they're kind of almost like like dipping their toe into the water saying, well, what about Bloomberg? What about Patrick, you know, um, I, I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know I, that either one of them at this point can make Hillary it. Hillary is coming. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm I'm confident that that's not true. Gee, I know that's a prediction you made, but that I'm, I'm fairly confident that's not that's not going to happen. But I got to say, Kristen, when you were talking about that, I had this image of Joe Biden literally parachuting in. And I thought, you know, <laughs> Joe could pull that off. I could. That would have been a great way for me. Anyway, uh, you know, totally. but, uh, you know, to me, you mentioned that Obama connection, and that's a huge thing because, of course, one of the big problems with Buttigieg, aside from the fact that, you know, he's mayor of kind of a small town and he's, you know, not very experienced, uh, but that he has a real problem with uh, African-American support. And, of course, that's a, if you take a look at polling, Joe Biden's way ahead of everyone else on mm -hmm. that. And uh, somebody is going to pick up that support if, uh, you know, if Biden drops out of the race, you would think that it would be like a, I mean, of when I look between Patrick and Booker, I feel like Booker is far more qualified and should be, it's weird to me, there's always a candidate like this, right? That you think this on paper, this person looks like a really strong candidate for the party, but they just somehow never quite catch on. And I think Cory Booker's like that, you know, and so I'm, I'm obviously disappointed. So there's some of my bias coming in there because he probably would have been my first choice from that field. But, but, you know, I think the fact that President Obama very clearly decided that he was not going to endorse anyone, especially, not especially, but not even his <laughs> vice president, right? I mean, I mean, that's a, you know, if, if, if Barack Obama wanted to just totally control this race. I, I think he, he could, right? Because if he issued an endorsement, that would shake things up enormously. I mean, he, but he, he has decided to stay out of this. And I think that's probably, I don't know if that's the wise thing to do or not. I almost wish he, he would have endorsed someone, but I could see where it would be problematic because let's say his preferred candidate is uh, Cory Booker. Well, all of a sudden that got, that has sort of an identity politics feel to it. Right. You know? And so, yeah. and I don't see him saying, you know what, Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. She's been my person right from the beginning or something like that. So, but I think he isn't endorsing Joe Biden for a reason. 
You know, and I think it's probably yeah. a good reason. And uh, Joe Biden made sense as the vice president, but I don't think that Barack Obama thinks that he would necessarily be his first choice as president. And I agree with Barack Obama on this. Not surprisingly, I agree with him uh, uh, about about a lot, certainly. Uh, Jay, any other thoughts on this? Well, I, I, I agree with Barack Obama on that, too, um, for, for, for different reasons. <laughs> we all but agree I, I with Barack Obama. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't um, that nice? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but for, for different reasons. And, yeah. and that is, I think, when, when you're a former president, President, you you carry a certain, I'll use the word gravitas, uh, with you, and your endorsement um, is is a a very big deal in in the party, and it it's sort of unseemly to jump in with an endorsement early, and we are still early, right? And and also when, unless there's unless it's a, a situation like a Reagan Bush kind of. Right. Whereas there is one error apparent and there's not really a primary yeah. fight yeah. And, and that sort of thing when it's it's pretty obvious. Um, but in this case, where it's a wide open field and open seat, um, I think it is unusual. Uh, historically, you can look back and I'm not sure how many times this would have happened, but I just I just don't remember any where a former president jumps in to endorse a candidate uh, when there's a wide primary field. I think once you yeah. get that narrow it down to a couple or, or something like that, um, then maybe you jump in. And the reasons for that are um, the former president does not want to uh, waste his or her, uh, his in this case, political capital mm-hmm. on sure. somebody who's going to lose and and sort of diminish their standing um, as, as, uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, if he, if he backs, uh, you know, if you were, if, if Barack Obama were to say, Andrew Yang's my guy, um, you know, and and that's, you know, it it plays out as you might expect it will play out, um, that, you know, Obama has sort of diminished himself and diminished his, uh, his, his power of doing so. So it's, I, I completely get why he wouldn't, uh, endorse, uh, Biden now. I think if it, if it comes down to, you know, if it's a Biden Sanders race or something like that, he may, but that's not going to be for a while. And I guess we can rule out uh, M- Michelle Obama running it and Barack- and her saying, well, with me, you get two for the price of one, right? That's a, <laughs> a throwback to the Clinton. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, before we get to our last story, I imagine it'll be our last story, uh, but we want to thank all of our monthly sustaining supporters on Patreon. And of course, when you do support the show, uh, you get more than our thanks. There's the weekly bonus show. There's the quick take, all kinds of other stuff. Uh, and if you want to check that out, you can just go to patreon.com slash politics guys or politicsguys.com slash support or there's a link right there in the show notes and you know, being a monthly supporter is just too much of a commitment or you just like to occasionally support the show when you're able to or when you think we've done a particularly good job. You can do that, too, through PayPal. And again, you'll find the support link for uh, PayPal and the show notes. You can just go to politicsguys.com slash support. Thanks so much. Okay, so, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about the Supreme Court. Uh, This week, the court declined to review a ruling from the Connecticut Supreme Court that allowed families of the Sandy Hook mass shooting victims to sue the manufacturer of the Bushmaster AR-15 that was used in the massacre. Now, there is that federal law that gives gun manufacturers immunity from lawsuits uh, from victims of gun crimes. Connecticut's high court ruled that the federal immunity did not apply to marketing and that companies that essentially promote their firearms as basically, hey, this is a good way to kill a lot of people, they could be in violation of Connecticut's uh, state fair trade laws. So, Kristen, I wanted to start with you. What did you think about uh, the fact, well, it wasn't a ruling, but the fact that the court just decided not to weigh in on uh, on this issue? 
Right. So I was actually, I was the, my main point was going to be what you just brought up, which is that it's the, that this ruling meant that this law didn't apply to the marketing. And that's exactly what these, what the lawsuit is about is that this, this particular gun that was used in the massacre was marketed towards people like Adam Lanza, these sort of young at risk males. Um, and, you know, I've been Follow, I followed this on and off. Um, it's sort of it's come on the news. It's dropped off the news. I think this was this from 2015. I it was 2015 or 2016. It's a few years old um, and it's been battled in the courts um, quite a bit. But I think that when we're talking about marketing, this is a really interesting um, take on this. I am very interested as somebody who is open minded. I like information. I like data. I want to hear what this lawsuit is all about. I would like to see this heard in the Supreme Court. And I and I do think that this ruling was a proper ruling um, because I think that it was painted to reflect something different um, and sort of playing to the marketing aspect of it, I think was really interesting. And I would like to hear if that argument is compelling, that it was marketed towards people like Adam Lanza. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I think it was proper and I think it was appropriate. And, and Jay, you know, it seems to me we talk, we've talked a lot about federalism. It seems to me this is the, a, a case of the court basically saying, hey, states have their own laws about, you know, fair, uh, about uh, consumer protection and, and fair trade and that sort of thing. And it was the court made be deciding not to get involved because they thought they saw this essentially as a as a, a matter within the state domain. And I wanted to get your take on that specifically, but you know, also more generally about what you thought about it. Well, I'd say, and, and again, when when you just have a denial of uh, a review, you don't really have a whole lot to go on as right. to what the court's reasoning are. Reasoning is, and there there may be many different reasons. Um, uh, but I think the bigger one is more just, uh, and this is just kind of an old fashioned, plain legal thing is this was brought up on a motion to dismiss mm -hmm. and, and the standard, uh, on a motion to dismiss is that the, the plaintiff could essentially prove no set of facts, uh, that would entitle it to relief. Um, which is a, a really high bar to get over. I mean, motions to dismiss are, uh, are you know, where there's where there can be any sort of factual issues, right. uh, they're not going to be granted. Um, so I, I think I think that's um, I think it's it was appropriate from that standpoint. And this is just a uh, look. Uh, let's let's get into discovery. Let's let the case play out. Um, these other issues, the federal immunity issue, uh, may raise its head again. Um, depending on on discovery and depending on what comes out of uh, you know we what we learn about the marketing and so forth, yeah. but I think at this point the court's saying you've got the uh, you've got the go ahead to to explore that case. Um, you know they're not they're not saying uh, federal immunity does not apply. Uh, they're not necessarily saying that a, a state uh, statute geared right. to something different uh, does apply. They're saying, let's, you know, yeah. essentially let's, let's play ball here and, and see where, see where it comes out. So uh, my I, sense I think is, it, it sounds, it's, I mean, that to me, it struck me as that's probably the appropriate thing to do. Um, uh, cause again, this isn't a decision on the merits. It's just yeah. a, can the case proceed? And my sense is that we're all sort of on the same page on this in, in that we would probably all agree, or maybe to a certain extent, that the uh, Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which is the federal law mm -hmm. we're talking about, 
that really was intended to protect gun manufacturers from from essentially if someone misuses their product to commit a crime and not to apply to if a gun, if Remington says, hey, if you're looking to mass massacre a bunch of people, the Bushmaster AR-15 is your weapon of choice. I think yeah. we would all agree that that was not the legislative intent behind that law. And so there's at least reason to allow this to go forward. But more broadly, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about just a special carve out for gun manufacturers in general, because it seems to me, I mean, you could say, well, why not include knife manufacturers or manufacturers of anything that's used to commit a crime? But here it seems to me this is Congress. This was Congress stepping in to protect a specific industry, basically from being from, from lawsuits. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem to me to fit kind of I, I wish I almost wish Trey were on because he's our big libertarian. Yeah. Right. And maybe he'd, he'd agree with me on this. But my thinking is. Why not leave this up to the courts? I mean, if someone can make a convincing case that the manufacturer of any legal product is somehow complicit in a crime that's committed using that product, shouldn't they be allowed to make that case? And maybe they won't in most instances. And I would think probably as long as firearms are illegal, that would be a tough case to make. But denying people the right to make that case to protect an industry seems to me to to be just kind of fundamentally wrong-headed. And I wanted to get your uh, your takes on that. Uh, Kristen, what, what do you think? So this case um, sort of stems on this idea, this violent video games argument. Um, and I'm not saying it's, it's right or it's wrong. I mean, I personally, I have two kids. I don't let them play violent video games. Um, and, and I think that anybody who has, you know, any amount of common sense can see this argument that this particular AR-15, this Remington rifle, uh, you know, has been marketed in these video games and used to, to commit these like atrocious acts in video games. And, and that is targeting at risk youth. I, you know, I think that, um, you know, less, less so do you see something like that happening with a knife attack? You know, it's not, you don't typically see on video games that, you know, somebody taking out a specific knife and saying, I'm committing these horrible acts with a specific knife produced by this specific, you know, manufacturer. So, I mean, I would also argue the same. I would say that, you know, let's let let's let this play out in the courts. I don't know that that was the intent of the original law. Um, I thought it was pretty well defined. I think this goes outside. I think they were able to make a case that goes outside the definition of that law. Um, and again, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to it. Um, I tend to take a more libertarian approach to this. Let's let's you know, I, I guess I, I have my reservations, but let's let this play out. Yeah. Jay. I think the, the knife manufacturers need to work harder on their product placement <laughs> yeah. um, with, with video games. Um, uh, no, I, I mean, look, this is this is obviously it's an industry carve out. And um, uh, well, Kristen says, I, again, I don't think anyone was was looking at uh, is it being marketed to to massacre people when they drafted this carve out. Uh, and yes, it was a political decision. It was something the NRA and the uh, uh, firearms industry backed, um, and that's sort of democracy. So to me, that that's more that's a policy question, not a legal question. Um, there are sure. a lot of uh, carve outs for a lot of different kinds of industries for a lot of different reasons. Um, some of them better than others, uh, but again, those are those are policy choices. And and I guess the question is, if you think it's a good policy choice or a bad policy choice. Um, yeah, I clearly I, I'm, think I'm it's one, a bad one. Yeah, I think it's a bad one. Um, I, I think there could also be a situation where you would have uh, industries that that uh, sell a lawful product that are completely wiped off the map, um, 
if they're subject to litigation. Um, this, this has come into question with automobiles before. You know, yeah. if somebody miss, if somebody gets behind the wheel of a car drunk, I know this this has been come up many times. You know, it could you potentially sue the automobile manufacturer for you know manufacturing a car that targeted somebody who may get behind the wheel? You know, it's just it's kind of just like a never ending loop, I guess, to that point. Sorry. I think in a way it should I mean, be. The, what, about the, what about the you know the airline? I mean airlines. Right. Um, you know, in a way, I mean, again, it should be self-correcting, shouldn't it? I mean, the fact that if people bring forth baseless, I mean, the reason why you can get all these class actions in certain areas is because there are attorneys who, uh, and, and yes, they're largely Democratic attorneys, right, Jay, you would say that, who, would see say a, that. who see a potential for a big payday. But if, if essentially there are people who would like to bring action against, you know, a, a pen manufacturer because someone decided to go on a rampage with a BIC, you know, there's probably not going to be a big payday there. And so it's not going to attract the, uh, the, the legal vultures to that. And so, I mean, the system's designed to sort of be self-correcting in that way, no? Well, well yes and no. But also consider with any lawsuit, you still have to show some sort of uh, negligence, exactly. right? Or, exactly. or, or mm -hmm. causality or something like that. And I think the, the question, um, that the issue that, uh, the gun manufacturers would have, the, 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 what they would face would be, um, you know, you could allege any sort of, of negligence just by creating the product, right? When the product itself is, is designed to shoot people, to kill people, um, uh, there would be that argument, and also the argument of of in something like any of these cases, that's that's the deepest pocket that would get looked to, and you would have a situation where uh, uh, I see rather than saying. rather than trying to, I mean, mm -hmm. they would either have to pay out a whole lot of settlements to defend these, uh, which would eventually uh, get rid of the company, or they would be faced with you know again multi million billion dollar uh, okay. verdicts. So, so let me uh, let me. I think I think I kind of understand what you're saying. Let me let me see if I get this. So basically, and I think Kristen, this is kind of what you're saying as well. In a way, is that because firearms, or at least certain types of firearms, by their very nature, are designed to to uh, hurt hurt or kill people when used as directed. But it's only the question <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. I mean, say for like self defense purposes or what have you. That makes them fundamentally different from knives and other things and uniquely vulnerable to litigation in a way that knives or pens or anything else is. And is that is that basically what what I what you're saying? Yes. OK, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I would okay agree. that makes sense to me. That, that makes sense to me. Then I, I kind of I can kind of see that logic. And so. All right, then. Well, I, I, so I think it's good for me to, to end on a point where I agree with, with where all three of us agree. And so let's do that. But, you know, this is the second week in a row now we've done a three person show. And I don't know you guys. I really enjoy it. I, I think it's, yeah. uh, I think it's a great it format. It was a good time. You know, yeah. <laughs> but of course, what really matters is what listeners think. So, guys, if you could take just a minute and let us know, we'd appreciate that. You can you know, email us mail at politicsguys.com, post comments on episodes on the website, politicsguys.com. And also there's our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And I will try to get a, like a one, like a one question poll up there sometime today, you know, kind of, do you prefer the three person or two person format and just kind of simple yes, no type of thing. And of course you can comment on that. We would really appreciate that because we, you know, of course we do this show for you guys. Anyway, as soon as we're done with this, we are going to be doing the, the uh, supporters exclusive bonus show. And I think today we're going to be talking about uh, DACA at the Supreme Court and also maybe a little bit about what we're reading. So uh, check that out if you're a supporter and will 
has this week's quick take. So uh, if you want to become a supporter, again, politicsguys.com slash support. You can just click on the link uh, in the show notes. And we always look forward to hearing from you. And if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please do. It helps us out and leave uh, reviews on whatever podcast app you're listening to. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Will Moreno, Andra Masker, and Daniel Toe. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.